Thank you very much. If you would open your Bibles while you're standing to Genesis 24. Genesis 24. It is a great honor to be able to stand in this pulpit. Uh, I've admired Dr. Chapel for many years and enjoyed his preaching and his ministry and certainly was a great blessing to us uh, in our years on the field, being such an encouragement uh, for many years. And then our girls, we had three girls that came here and graduated and are out in ministry. And we're very thankful for uh, the heart that uh, the staff and faculty and leadership and the members of Lancaster Baptist Church instilled into our children to be able to go into ministry. And uh, I would like to uh, mention also my wife and son just arrived last night. Jenny and Josiah are over here. Wave at everybody. They're right over here on the front. And uh, we'd love for you to meet them. Uh, glad to have them with me now. Uh, but the Lord's given us a wonderful privilege of serving Him. And uh, I could spend a lot of time thanking uh, the Lord for this place. And I'm especially thankful to get to know some of you uh, during the time I'm here filling in for Brother Godfrey. And uh, if we can do anything for you uh, in any way, uh, as, as far as missions or ministry, please let us know. Uh, that's what we live for. And uh, we have many men who have many years of experience, and ladies as well, who have given their lives to serve the Lord around the world. And I get to rub shoulders with people like that every day. It's just a fascinating uh, ministry to be a part of. And uh, we'd love for you to come see it. If you're ever in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, give us a call. We'll show you what God did there. The miracle at Harrison Bay is what Dr. Don Sisk calls it. The facility that God has given us to be able to help missionaries and help churches around the world. And it's fascinating. I can spend the rest of my time talking about what God's doing in around the world. I love it. I absolutely love what God is doing. And what He lets us do for Him is just absolutely fascinating. Uh, but let's go to the Word of God for a moment, and some of, of that I will bring out in the message as well. Genesis 24 says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my kin country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence." Heavenly Father, we do ask that you'll bless this time that we have together in your word. Lord, I pray that you'll bless your word to our hearts and open our spiritual eyes and help us to set aside uh, things that can, can distract and help us to focus upon what you have for us at this moment. 
It's a humbling thing to open your word and to preach from it. And Lord, without you being here, we do not well. But Lord, we're thankful for your presence. We ask you to be in the midst, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge our hearts, that you will bless these dear students in the days ahead as they prepare to serve you and to go around the world with the gospel. God, would you raise up a great army to take your name and take your word and to do a work for you. We'll thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have entitled the message, Faithful Men. I love faithful men and the faithful men that God has placed in my life. I'm very thankful for men such as Brother Chapel. And Brother Chapel has been an encouragement. And we got the wonderful privilege of, of going to visit our uh, son-in-law and daughter in New Zealand. Both of them are West Coast graduates and and uh, we got to spend three weeks with them in February and happened to be there during the time that uh, uh, Sam uh, was having his uh, uh, organization Sunday. Brother Chapel was there to preach for that and we got to fellowship with him there. I'm thankful for a man who's paid the price and for a man who's been so faithful to the Lord through the years. And it's such a blessing to many of us. I'm thankful for the faithful men that God has placed in my life as well. My dad. I don't come from a preacher's home. My dad spent 21 years in the Marine Corps. And uh, when I was born, they said, attention! And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, my dad was, uh, I was 13 when uh, my dad retired from the Marine Corps. I always thought that's what I wanted to do with my life. I just loved, one thing I did love doing, I, I loved to play hooky from school. I'd, I'd play sick. And then I'd get miraculously well. After I missed the bus and I couldn't go to school, I would get miraculously well and I'd go to work with my dad. And uh, my dad would walk into a shop and everybody would snap to attention and, and uh, say, Top Harris is coming. And what a testimony he had for the Lord. And uh, uh, I just really thought that was, that's pretty neat. I, that's what I'd like to do with my life. But uh, when I turned 15, I finally said to my dad, I said, Dad, I'm going to join the Marines. He said, Son, you join the Marines, I'll kill you. He and I were very close, very close, and he was joking. Uh, he wouldn't have killed me, I don't think. But uh, uh, he and my mom had prayed for a preacher. And I have two older sisters. Uh, so when they uh, prayed for a preacher, I got, I got stuck with that. But uh, they really did want uh, someone to follow my, mo my mom's dad, who was an evangelist and uh, preached many years ago with... Uh, some very famous uh, man like Hyman Appleman and others, and he went to deal to, to Moody uh, Bible Institute in the time when, when Moody was a, a really good school. And he died back in 1972, and I can remember standing at his casket uh, and my dad standing beside me. And I looked down in the casket and I said, Dad, who's going to take Grandpa's place? And my rough, tough uh, Marine Corps dad broke down in tears. And I don't know why he said it, but he looked at me and he said, Son, I guess you're going to have to. I was nine years old. And my family encouraged me in the Lord and showed me what it was like to love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Dad retired when I was 13. He began to use his military pension and, and he uh, 
lived off of that pension and did ministry in churches all, all the years up until now, up until about 10 years ago when my mom passed away. He cared for her for a while. He was a printer by trade and he used his, his, uh, his gifts and his talents for the Lord, printed for missionaries and printed for churches. And, and I got to see my, uh, a dad that, that loved God, even to this day, if I happen to show up at my dad's house. Uh, more likely than not, he'll have his Bible open and he'll be reading. And I've walked in many a time on him uh, while he'd been working and standing at his light table getting ready to do a job and have his Bible open and tears coming off of his face. And I'm so thankful for a dad who loved God like that. And as Pastor Chapel mentioned yesterday, if you don't have that kind of a background, I, I can, reckon, I can um, understand that you probably would love to have that type of experience, but you can be that in the days ahead. You can be that faithful man and that faithful lady and, and one that loves God if you'll allow God uh, to have his rightful place in your heart. I'm thankful for a, a preacher. Now, my dad was in the Marines, so every three years we went somewhere. Even when my dad retired, he had it in his blood. Every three years we moved somewhere else. And I've lived a, a lot of different places. I grew up in Hawaii. I lived in North Carolina, Florida, Georgia. Uh, but one of those place stops along the way. I was 11 years old, and we went to the Calvary Baptist Church in Newburn, North Carolina. And Preacher Bill, as he's affectionately called by everyone there, uh, was, is another one of those faithful men. Preacher Bill led me to the Lord when I was 11 years old. 45 years ago. And he still pastors the Calvary Baptist Church in North, Newburn, North Carolina. I love Preacher Bill and I'm thankful for him and have written him through the years from uh, our time in being on the mission field and said, Preacher Bill, I love you and I thank God for you. And I'm thankful that God's been able to place some faithful men in my life. I think of uh, some of the missionaries that I get to serve and, and uh, co-labor with as we are, pray and try to get the gospel to the world. And, and we've got some amazing ones. Some of the names that you might know, Dr. Don Sisk, we're staying in his house. And uh, what a blessing he's been. And uh, we've fellowshiped with him in Japan and, and uh, worked with his son for a while when he was in Japan and just had a long time of, of blessing and fellowship with a godly man that loves the Lord and still being used of God in a great way to challenge people for missions. I think of uh, Brother Godfrey, who I'm filling in for. Uh, Brother Godfrey, uh, teaching missions here right now, Brother J.B. Godfrey, spent 20 years in Africa. Isn't that amazing? And uh, when he became the Far East director, we at BIMI, who were on the field in Asia, thought, why would they choose a, uh, a veteran missionary to Africa to be the Far East director? Didn't quite fit until he came and started telling us of things he had to uh, kill that were crawling up the wall. And we realized real soon that we were really glad we were in Asia, <laughs> even though it was a difficult place. Uh, at times to see people saved in some places like Japan. But uh, Brother Godfrey, he's such a blessing. I'm thankful for his faithfulness and, and uh, sure enjoy the friendship that we have had as he was my director for 10 years. Uh, we have other men. I, I, some names you may not know, Ron, Ron White and uh, Roland Simeonson are men who spent uh, many years there, Brother White, over 35 years in Japan, and again, after uh, a time where his wife had cancer and, and then uh, passed away, and, and he had many years of ministry, and now he's back with us and back in, in uh, Japan and around the world. Faithful men. I think of Roland Simeonson. 
uh, a man whose father was a missionary in China and had to flee uh, because of the rebellion. Many, many years ago, they fled to Japan. And Brother Roland Simeonson spent over 50 years as a missionary in Japan. To get to fellowship with men like that is just amazing. And uh, I'll never forget Brother Simeonson uh, because he told me right as I got ready to leave for the field, uh, and we, our deputation's over, we're getting ready to go. Uh, the advice that he was going to give, I was just uh, ready to write it down and, and uh, hold on to it. Brother Roland Simeonson said this to me. He said, Brother Harris, just remember, the first 30 years of language will be the hardest. There was a little bit of humor to that statement, but there was a whole lot of truth to that statement as well. Japanese is not an easy language. He said, but don't worry, by the time you get to 30 years, then nobody, else, nobody will really want to hear you anyway. They'll want to speak English to you. But... Uh, uh, I thank the Lord for Roland Simeonson, and uh, he and his wife are struggling with dementia and some difficulties uh, with their health in these days and are not on the field anymore. We've got three missionaries in Japan right now, uh, the Carters and the Craigs and the Gardeners that have been in Japan for over 40 years. I'm thankful for faithful men, and we've had a blessed privilege of uh, rubbing shoulders with some of the, of the finest. Rick Martin. Been on the field for 43 years. What an amazing ministry God has enabled that man to do in the Philippines. If you want to see ministry uh, in a way that will challenge you and encourage your heart, come go with me. And we'll go to see Rick Martin and, and we'll, we'll show you a ministry uh, that where hundreds of, of men are being trained to be pastors. And those, those guys are going out and starting churches everywhere uh, on average. Over the last several years that he's reported back into the home office, he's told us of over a hundred churches a year that are being started through the men that are going out from their ministry. And what an amazing thing. What an amazing burden he has. Uh, the island he lives on has 4,000 barangays, 4,000 neighborhoods. And he wants to put a church in every neighborhood. They're not real close together, uh, but he wants to, and that's the vision he has. A couple years ago, I was in his, in his pastor's conference. And he was, he was talking about how that uh, they, they had a goal with the pastors, the 800 pastors that were there. And many of them had brought their church people and they came in uh, uh, kind of uh, on rotation. They couldn't fit them all in the building all at the same time. But just hundreds of men. And he's talking to them about how that their strategy over the next 10 years is to see a thousand new churches started. And uh, they are going uh, after it. And what an amazing thing to be around faithful men that are doing something for God. I'm thankful for faithful men. This man, the servant of Abraham, was a faithful man. Let's spend a few moments and find out why. Find out what was important to him and find out how that we can be challenged in this area of faithfulness. First of all, I see the servant's desire. The servant's desire. Now certainly, the, one of the great things about this servant would be that when you find Abraham speaking, he's there. Look at verse 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. In verse 2 says, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house. He was within speaking distance. He was close. And that speaks to my heart because if we're going to be the kind of servant that we should be with our master... We're going to have to stay close. 
This servant is not going to be able to be the servant he needs to be and be faithful and do what his master wants him to do unless he's close enough to the master to be able to hear his words and to be able to follow uh, his wishes and to do that which he can to serve the master. The, the servant needs to stay close. You and I are no different. We need to be close to our Lord. If we're not close to the Lord, we will fail. Just being in Bible college doesn't mean you're going to be close all the time. In fact, you can be so close, but so busy, that you don't spend the time as you should in the Word. Feeding your soul, staying close to the Master. How could that be? How could it be that in Bible college we possibly could... Uh, do what we've probably heard before, and that is to get further away from the Lord. We get busy. Projects and, and, and requirements and work schedules and activities and everything else. But no matter what else happens, we have got to keep our time with the Lord. Maintain that closeness with God. Maintain that time in prayer with Him. All else will fail unless we stay close to the Master. This servant was close to the master. Not only was he close to the master, he was able to listen to what he said. He was able to not only hear it, but respond. And he was willing to do what the master said. Do you recognize that everything that God wants us to know, he's already given to us? And if we'll stay close to Him, everything that you need to know is right here. What I find is, sometimes we want to find out what God's will is apart from the Word of God. I found in my life that if I would just simply determine to obey what is written, there's sufficient in here to be sure that I'm in the will of God. It's all right here. We don't have to be searching for it somewhere else. In some emotional uh, time in chapel or in a service or, or something, uh, some other thing. The Lord directs us through His Word. i got to tell you a story. I was home on furlough once. And we were reporting to churches. And woke up one morning. We are staying in my in-law's home. And they were gracious enough to let us stay there. I loved it. Not because we were close to them. Because they let us... Stay there rent-free. But uh, that was a blessing. I know that sounds terrible. But I got up one morning and my, my dad-in-law, uh, the, the house was dark and kids had already gone off to school. And, and uh, my dad-in-law, he, uh, he said, what's that place that you live? And I, and I told him the name of the city. At the time it was called Nishinomiya. He said, no, the other place, the, the larger city. And I said, Kobe? And he said, yes, that's it. He said, it's on television and, and it's burning. And I went over to the television and saw that there had been a 7.2 earthquake that hit the area that we lived in for our first seven years in Japan. And uh, to make a long story short, God used that event in our lives to lead us away from that area. I went back trying to find housing, couldn't, couldn't, could not find housing. And uh, as I was fellowshipping with one missionary who had been there, and I was listening to his experience of having 
been through that difficult time and uh, there was so much damage down in the city. The roads were down, houses were down. It took them a year just to remove the rubble before they could start rebuilding. There was just so much damage. Over 6,000 people had died as a result of that quake in 1995. And this missionary began to talk about his burden for northern Japan as I was fellowshipping with him in his kitchen. And while he's talking about northern Japan, a very unusual feeling came over me, and it was the feeling of peace. I'd been looking for housing, couldn't find it. Housing was running about $2,000 a month at that time because of the amount of people that were without housing. And I couldn't find uh, the right place, and it was too expensive, and I didn't know what to do and didn't have peace about it. And right in the middle of this conversation... There's peace. And I didn't know what the peace was for. Then that missionary turned to me and he said, David, I want you to, would you pray about going with us to northern Japan and starting a church together? He'd been in Japan for two years. I had been in Japan for seven. I would be the lead lead guy and the one responsible for doing all the preaching mostly. But uh, I I was not ready for that. But God was in it, and God showed us uh, through a set of circumstances that he, His will was in that. And, and uh, so I, we came home. I, I came home to get my family, and we had our tickets in hand, and our things had already been shipped, and we were going to northern Japan. God had led us to a city called Aomori. And uh, if you ever would like to see an amazing place, go to Aomori in the wintertime. Aomori City is a city of 300,000 people at sea level on the northern uh, section of the main island of Honshu, and I did not know about Aomori. I just know God had led me there. That's another story. But what I found out was it snowed a lot. And I told the people that said to me that it snowed a lot, I've seen snow. Thankfully, this was before Google came around, and I couldn't find out more about it, but I did not know they had 25 feet of snowfall. Total snowfall, not height. Uh, 25 feet of snowfall. And that's where God led us. We spent 15 years there. Loved every minute of it. Well, I did. My wife probably hibernated uh, most of the winters. Uh, No, she loved it as well. But you know, right before God led us there, I'm at home and uh, again, uh, something happened. I got a phone call and it was from the missionary that said, would you go with us? I had already committed, bought tickets. Things were on the way. That missionary called me on the phone. He said, Brother Harris, I'm not going to be able to go right now. And if my arms could have reached to the phone, he's the one that got me headed in that direction. And I had told him, I've started a church already and I I don't want to go anywhere else in Japan and start a church by myself. And you're going to have to commit. I almost made him sign on the dotted line uh, to, to make a contract so that we could go start this church together. And here he calls me and says, I can't go right now. The other ministry had come up. And I was stunned. I was a good, good bit discouraged at that moment. Quitting was not a part of my thinking, but I really did not understand that situation. And in the discouraged point that I was, I remember grabbing my Bible and going into the dark living room. Again, the kids were off to school and I was... Uh, uh, my wife and I were home in the, uh, in, in the home alone and I went in, off to the living room and didn't turn on any lights but I, sat, I got on my knees next to a, a recliner 
And I remember looking at my Bible and thinking, I know this is God's Word, and God can give me the direction that I need, but where do I go? Where do you find help in a time of need? Well, that still small voice came back, and it said, go back to where you started, where you left off. I grabbed my marker, and I opened up my Bible. And in God's design, I happened to be at a point where Moses was saying, the same prayer I had just prayed. And I had said, Lord, you know I don't want to go to, North, to anywhere else in Japan and start a work without somebody. And now this fellow says, you can't go with me. And Moses was praying to the Lord and saying to the Lord, Lord, these are your people. And, and you've, you've told me to lead them. And, and, and you've not shown me who you're going to send with me. And that's the passage that I read. Came down to, I think it's verse 14, when it says, the Lord said to Moses, I will be, go with thee. I tell you what, I, when, I saw, when I read that verse, God just solidified things and God gave me uh, the comfort that I needed and the help that I needed. You see the desire to be for us to stay close to the Lord so that we can let Him lead us. He's the good shepherd. And if we'll follow Him, you can find out what King David said in the 23rd Psalm twice, in verse 2 and in verse 3, he makes a statement, the same statement two times. He leadeth me. What an amazing thing it is to see God lead. Let God lead you in your life. But you're going to have to have a desire to stay close to the Lord. He had a desire to stay close to his master. Secondly, he had a, let's look at the servant's decision. Long before the story begins, I believe there was a decision made by this servant and that decision was, I am going to serve Abraham. I don't know how that started. I don't know how he became the uh, servant of Abraham. But he must have made a decision. I'm going to be the best servant Abraham has. Uh, he, he must have thought, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to get in the way that God wants for me to be, even as a servant, so that God can bless he made a decision. I love getting in the way. That's what the servant said that he did. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Already you started to get in the way by coming to Bible college and get, beginning to prepare for ministry. Let the Lord have his way. Don't let discouragement sidetrack you. Don't let finances get you off track of what God has for you. Get on your knees and beg God to provide so that when you see the answer, you'll know it's Him. You see, when we have needs in our life, sometimes we wonder, why does it have to be so hard? Why do there have to be so many trials? I believe it's because the Lord wants us to stay on our knees. The Lord wants us to want Him and need Him in our life. And, and this servant, his decision was, I'm staying close to the Master. Whatever He says, I'm going to do. And he made a decision. We see the servant's desire. We see the servant's decision. But thirdly, I would like for you to think about the servant's dilemma. The servant's dilemma. What if she doesn't follow me? Abraham has told him to do a very important job. Go find a bride for my son. And so he was to go and to find a bride for Isaac. And a very interesting thing uh, in much of Asia uh, and the Middle East, uh, arranged marriages are commonplace. And so he had to go in this very unusual situation and find a bride for Abraham's son. 
Uh, but the dilemma was, what if she doesn't follow? And Abraham gives the answer uh, in the passage and tells him that if she doesn't follow, then he's, he's, uh, he's free from the, the vow. But he goes ahead and he makes a vow, and he still has a dilemma. How do I find the right one? I love what this servant does. In verse number uh, 10 it says, And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia and unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. The dilemma of the, of the servant caused him to lift his voice in prayer and his request to God, knowing that only God could lead him and God could direct him. And his dilemma was, how do I meet the right one? Well, when you don't know what to do, go to the one who knows all. God knows where he wants you to serve. God knows where he wants you to go. He knows in the place in the harvest that you're needed most. He'll direct you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. You may have a dilemma, but allow the Lord to have his way. Follow him, and he'll lead you to right where he wants you to go. Follow him. He'll lead you right to the answer for the problem that you have. Later on in the story, after he finds Rebecca and uh, tells her all that, that uh, Abraham has told him, she's excited She's ready to go. She goes back to her family, and the family says, uh, we, We've heard the story, and we know this is of God, but stay for a while. Stay a little while with us, a little longer. And the servant, he says, Don't hinder me. There's an important job I've got to get done. And, and, and this speaks to us of the fact that when we're going to do something for God, there needs to be haste in doing it. Giving our all and giving it our best and working hard and doing the work for God. If we're going to win souls, when are we going to start? The harvest truly is plenteous. The laborers are few. It doesn't mean we need to quit school and head to some foreign country. But we do need to be concerned that we get in the harvest today and do something for God that God wants us to do. You know what, it'd be a terrible thing if you came to this college and got the best education that money could buy, but walked away from this ministry not having learned the heartbeat of this ministry. Brother Chapel in Lancaster Baptist Church can teach us so much about loving God and going after people with a heart of love and, and compassion and if you'll learn that heart that they have, God will use that and God will bless that anywhere you go in the world. Look, you can get education anywhere, but you can't see what's happening in this ministry everywhere. And God has put you here. Why not just stay the course? Why not just get the job done? Why not just work hard and seek to work through the difficulties that you have? And these are just training days. These are just preparation days. And if you're going to quit now, 
What about later? We as a mission at BIMI uh, don't necessarily care too much to look at someone's record and find out they quit going to Bible college. You know what that might indicate? You're probably going to quit on deputation. Or you might quit on the mission field. Get the job done. We might have a dilemma, but there's someone that we can go to and get the help that we need. And God can give us the strength to go through these days of preparation and take us to the place that He has for us. We see finally the servant's delight. So what made his day? What is it that really made this servant happy? Well, it was serving his master. As a servant, his number one desire and goal was whatever the master wanted me to do. We have the same opportunity. What does the master want us to do? Well, he's told us in his word to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. One of the things that would be helpful if you take advantage of Mission Purban, pray for missionaries, pray for laborers. Get involved in missions, even now, in a place where you can be praying that God would send laborers into the harvest. Serving the Master. Serving in the will of God was something that made his delight. Seeing God lead him in the way he did. That's, that's quite amazing, isn't it? God led him to the right person. So distinctly and so specifically that it's undeniable that it's God at work. Oh, I love to see God at work in that way. And the servant's delight is a, is a satisfaction of a job well done. He comes back with Rebecca. And as he comes back with Rebecca, we come to the end of the chapter, and what we would find is that the scene shifts to Isaac and to Rebecca. And as the scene of that wonderful love story of Isaac finding his bride and, and uh, her coming and, and, and that wonderful, joyous time that it was, I thought, wonder what happened to the servant. There's no mention in the story at the end what happens to the servant. So what do you think happened? Well, allow me to use my sanctified imagination. As the scene is going to Isaac and Rebekah, where would the servant go? He'd make his way off stage back to the master. Guess where the master's looking? He's looking at the son. He's looking at the bride. And the servant comes after a job well done. And Abraham certainly must have been pleased and thankful for his servant. What do you think he said? And as that servant makes his way back to the place where he was most comfortable, close to the master, I can imagine Abraham probably still looking at his son and still looking at Rebecca as he throws a compliment over his shoulder and he says, Good job. Well done. Dear friends, 
one day soon. We're going home. And we're going to stand before our master. Have we made the right decisions to stay close to him? Has he been our delight? Have we been serving him faithfully so that we will be able to hear what the servant heard that day? It ought to be the desire of our heart that our life will be lived in such a way that God will be pleased so that we can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant one day.